0: All right, Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, and this is going to be a series, I don't know how many, two or three at least, excuse me, messages um, on this topic. Yeah, we often talk about expository, but but it's going to be expository. I'm going to exposit this passage, but we are talking about particularly a topic. I'm going to expand on it in the weeks ahead, and that is the perpetuity of the Lord's churches. Now, that word perpetuity means the state or character of being perpetual, endless, or indefinitely long duration or existence. Now. How long is that duration? How long are there going to be churches on the earth? Well, until the Lord comes. Remember when he gave the Lord's Supper, what did Paul say? You do this until, remember him, do this until he comes again. And, of course, the Lord's Supper was an ordinance that was given to the church. So I want to look at Matthew 16, verse 13 through 19, where it says, Jesus. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremias, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your word tonight. I pray that as we look into the word of God, again, we'd allow the spirit of God, who is the author of this book, uh, I pray that you'd help. Uh, we allow him to have his will and his way to open our minds to receive his truth, that we might understand uh, the, the purpose of... Uh, that you built the church and and the churches would continue to exist throughout time until the Lord calls your saints home, until you call your saints home. So, Lord, we pray that you give us understanding and help us to see the importance and the value of your church. And may you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're we're talking about the, the perpetuity of the church or the endless... Or indefinitely long duration or existence of the church, and when we say perpetuity, perpetuity of the church, what we mean by that is that we believe that since, since the days of Jesus, there have been Bible believing, Baptistic. You know, they weren't always called Baptists. The word Baptist came along somewhere in uh, prior to the Middle Ages. But uh, it was most often it was referred, used first called Anabaptists, which means rebaptizers, but the the name Baptist stuck. But it identifies one as Bible believing doctrine, and and several things. And we're going to look at some of those things uh, probably not this week, but later on. But anyway, but these kind of churches, the idea is that these kind of churches have existed since the days of Christ and the apostles. You may not be able to trace that all the way back. But, you know, some of what we, what we learn and how we know that these churches did exist is what our enemies say about us. Um, and we'll look at some of that a little bit later in the message. But but that is what we believe. And I believe that's what Jesus is teaching here in this passage. And I want to notice several things as we consider this tonight, as we get started. First of all, the truth of God is revealed through his churches, through his faithful churches. Notice in verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon bar for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, the question I raise is here, how is the Lord or through whom does the Lord reveal truth to us, even to Peter? Well, you say, well, Jesus, duh, you know, okay, yes, that is true. But what is Jesus to Peter? Well, was, you know, people would say, well, he's his Savior, he's his Lord, is that all he is? What was he doing with his disciples those three and a half years? He was shepherding them, and the word shepherd it's used in the Bible some places. Is where we get our word pastor. And it's interesting that just a few weeks ago, if you remember, I preached from Hebrews 11, or Hebrews three and verse one, where it says that he is the apostle, the apostle. And the Bible tells us that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus Christ, the apostle, not one of the apostles, but the apostle, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So, so, in a real sense, Jesus, who was the pastor of that group, that church, it was a church, and we'll see some of the reasons why I say it was a church. That first church made up of the disciples, he was their pastor. And he was teaching them about himself. This is where they learned it. This is where they learned it. You know, and you can go through the, you know, uh, I like the book of John particularly to think about these things. In the book of John, in chapter 3, in verses 13 through 16, you know, of course, he's speaking to Nicodemus here. I'm sure the disciples were around. And he says to him, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven... And Jesus saying that verse, I am God, I'm omnipotent, I'm omnipresent, I'm everywhere. I'm here on earth talking to you, Nicodemus, and I'm also in heaven. That word is in heaven, its present tense. And then he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, He refers to Himself as the Son of Man, and then He refers to Himself as the Son of God. So that teaches us that He is, He is, came to us through the seed of a woman, but He's also the Son of God. So here you have the god man Uh, chapter 4 verse 25 of course he's been speaking to the woman at the well and she raises a question and says the woman saith unto him I know that Messiah cometh the word Messiah means uh, Christ or the anointed one of God Messiah cometh which is called Christ when he has come he will tell us all things Jesus said unto her I that speak unto thee am he am he uh, chapter, oh, verses thirty-two to 30, and thirty-four. Again, he says, you know that the disciples, you know, went to get food. We heard about this this past week, and it says, and he said unto them in verse thirty-two, "I have meat to eat that ye know not of." Therefore said the disciples one to another, "Hath any man brought him ought to eat?" Jesus saith unto them, "My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work." You know, he was talking about spiritual things, the work of God, not the, 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 the needs of the flesh. In chapter 5 and verse 17, uh, he says, But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. So he he calls God his Father. Now, of course, this is before the Pharisees, after he had healed this man at the pool of Bethsaida. And so he's telling them that, that God is my Father, and... He, uh, And he refers them in this chapter to those who testified of his person. He said, John, bear witness of me, verse 33. But I receive not the testimony from man, verse 34. But these things I say that you might be saved. Uh, Verse 36, the works. uh, uh, But I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the father. Again, he refers to himself as the son of the father. The Father hath given me to finish the same works that I do, bear witness of me, that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, ye believe not. And ye believe not. You know, there are three times, the Bible records it three times, at his baptism, uh, and, you know, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then later... Uh, I think it's in John 17, there's a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, hear ye Him. So all these things, He's teaching His disciples who He is. Who He is. Of His person. And and over and over again, in the book of John, He uses the name, I Am. I Am. We find that name first in Exodus chapter... 4, I believe it is. Moses asked, whom shall I say sent me? He said, say that I am. I am. And Jesus used that over and over again. He said, John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. John eight fifty eight, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew what he was referring to, because they picked up stones to stone him. You really what he's saying is, look, guys, I am God. I'm God. I'm God in the flesh. I am Jehovah. I am the Jehovah of the Old Testament. I'm God. John 10, he said, I am the door. John 10, uh, 10 and 11, I am the good shepherd. Uh, John 10, I and my father are one. And John 10, 36, he says this. To the Pharisees, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest because I said, I am the Son of God. So what he's really telling him is, look, yeah, I said I am the Son of God. But how can you say I blaspheme when I am the Son of God? That'd be like somebody trying to tell you, you know, Nathan, your name's not Nathan. Well, how can you say that? Your birth certificate shows it. Your driver's license proves it. You know, you have all this proof. And your parents would say, yes, we, we do most of the time. Yes, uh, you are Nathan Byler." you know. And then somebody's saying, well, you're not, or you're lying. In John 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. So where did Peter learn all this, this about Jesus? That he was the Christ, the Son of the Living God. He learned it by listening to his pastor. In his church. In his church. In Ephesians two nineteen talks about that the, the church is built upon the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ. Being the chief cornerstone, uh, Hebrews three one talks about Christ as the builder of the house of God. You know Hebrews two eleven and twelve, and, and again, let me give you some evidence that he referred to that group of disciples as a church in Hebrews two. And see, the, the a lot of people don't believe that was a church. That the church didn't start actually till the day of Pentecost, but that's not true. Uh, But in Hebrews 2, verses 11 and 12, says, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Now, when did Jesus sing in the church? Well, if you go to Matthew chapter 26, I think it's verse 30, after he had instituted the Lord's Supper, they said... And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, it's my opinion that that wasn't the first time they sang together. But they sang together. And he said, I sang in the midst of my brethren, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. You see, the point is, this was considered a church. These guys assembled together, and that's what a church is. It is an assembly. And this is the pattern that we see throughout the New Testament. That's the New Testament record. That people learned about Christ, about salvation, and about the Lord, and the things of God through the church. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. And 42, Acts 2, 41 through 42. The Bible says, Then they that glad to receive his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So they continued. And... and uh, and, of course, in Ephesians, I mentioned Ephesians 2, but I want you to turn over there for a minute. Ephesians 2, in verses 19 through 21, it says, Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners. In other words, you're not outsiders, but fellow citizens with the saints. So when we get saved, we become fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And I believe that's referring to the church. We, we join the church, of course, through baptism. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed grow, together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So, you know, the Bible here refers to the church as an habitation of God through the Spirit. It's where, it's where God dwells. The assembly of the saints. Not this building, but in the hearts of his people as they assemble together, God dwells there. He, it's his habitation. You know, that, I don't know what that does to you. That, that kind of makes me stand in awe. It's like, wow. White House Baptist Church is a habitation of God through the spirits. Of course, Revelation chapter 2 tells us that he walks in the midst of his candlesticks. In chapter 1, Was it, verse 19 or verse 20 tells us that candlesticks are the churches. So the Lord Jesus Christ walks in the midst of His churches. His churches. In a week ahead, we're going to learn what His church is, or His churches are. Not all the churches that claim to be churches are His churches. You see, even Matthew eighteen twenty, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. And then that's the simplest form of a New Testament church. And of course, God has designed the church. And even as you know, we 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 see that, and I'm 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 you know pushing this point to to and get all of I can out of it. to to illustrate that Peter learned of this about Christ in his church. God has designed his church, his churches, to perfect us. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, you think about that verse there, verse 12 there, for the perfecting of the saints and the edifying of the body. So he's talking about the individual members of the body, individual saints. He's also making reference to the body as a whole. He works for both. Now it says for the perfecting of the saints. Or that word perfecting means complete furnishing. To complete the furnishings. So, when we think about the perfecting, for the perfecting, he says of the saints. So, he's referring there to the individual members of the body of Christ or of a church. So, God is working through his pastors and teachers to completely furnish the individual members of the body. In other words, we call this, of course, growth. 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 the spirit of God works in you know God does work corporately, use us corporately, but God works in individual people's people with individual lives. That's how He works. And then, of course, the the word edify. He says the edifying of the body of Christ. That refers to the building. Edify means to build. So He's 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 working to edify the body or build the body of the church as a whole, as one, and and, and of course he's using those individual members to build that body. So God desires to work in every part of the body to build the whole. So he works in individual members to complete or to build up, to improve, if you will, his church. You know, as Brother Hammett said, they have a larger ministry. They have more ministries than we do. They have they have, I believe, at least five people on full time staff. They got children programs, you know. We don't have any children that age. You know, we don't have any children, what, between three, four, and fifteen. We don't have any children between there. So we don't got programs for children. Now, if we had children, we'd do something. Uh, but we don't need that. We don't need it because we don't have them. But, but God you know, works in each individual member's lives to, co- to make a body complete. And we see this even in the gifts that he gives. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, in uh, verse 8, he says, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Of course, not all these gifts are, are working today. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another's interpretation of tongues. But notice verse 11. But all these worketh that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally, as he will. Uh, and that's not the verse I wanted. I, I was. Uh, con- uh, oh, verse, look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Okay, so we're talking about every person of the body to profit with all. So to profit the whole, not just the individual. It does. If God works in your heart, it does profit you. But it's for the purpose of edifying the body and glorifying. Christ. You know, some houses are furnished better than others. Some some Christians are more are further along in their growth than others. That's that's normal. That's normal. You know, we shouldn't be satisfied where we are. We should always be desiring growth, but, but some are further along in their growth than others. And there's, there's reasons for that. Some have been saved longer than others. Some are, are more surrendered than others. And so that's going to affect your growth. And, and so uh, uh, you know, some furnishings, as, as we will see here, some furnishings are more useful than others. Look at Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Second Timothy 2, 19 and 20. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Now, the key is, in verse 19, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If you're going to be a useful vessel or furnishing, as we were talking about in Ephesians 4, you're to cleansing. There has to be cleansing from sin. And the more you grow in the Lord and set apart yourself unto God, separating yourself from sin, the more useful you become. That's really what 2 Corinthians 6 is all about. He says to enlarge yourself, you're not hindered, you're not not straightened in us. See, we straighten or restrict our usefulness by sin we allow into our lives. Abraham damaged his testimony by not obeying God and staying in the land and instead going to Egypt because of the famine. And he hurt his testimony in Egypt. He lied. He got down to Egypt, the pressure of the situation, and he lied. And he was rebuked by the Egyptians. Now, if, some, if the unsaved world rebukes you, do you, are you earning their respect as a Christian? Are they as likely going to listen to you? If they can point at things in your life that they know aren't right even the sight of God, if they can point to sin in your life, and in my life, it's going to damage our testimony you see we aren't we aren't the vessel that maybe could is being used as much as we could be by allowing sin in our life. That's why it's so important you know peter you know Peter is an excellent illustration of this again you know Peter. Peter stubbed his toe over and over and over. In other words, he put his foot in his mouth, and he was always doing things that you know contradicted. You know, that, trying to do things that contradicted the Lord, and, and got him rebuked by the Lord. And the Lord would rebuke him, and you know, kindly rebuke him and set him on that straight path again. But it took a process. It Took a process. That's what the Lord does in our lives. He's continuing to work in our lives. To bring us into a place of more usefulness. Make us a better, if you will, a better, more useful furnishing. You know, we have, we have, my wife has dishes in the house. There are dishes and pans and pots and things that we use, that she uses. I shouldn't say we use. She uses, I rarely, use for cooking, preparing food, and eating food off of. You know, there are other pans that we use to feed the dog. And I have never yet seen her wash them up and make anything for me to eat in one of those. See, it's not a vessel to honor. I mean, is it useful? Yes, it is. It's of little use. Its use is really not all that important. But those vessels that she cooks my meals in, now those are important. And she makes sure she gets them washed clean, you know. And so God wants to work in our lives through his churches, through his church, you know, to teach us, instruct us, so that we become this vessel, this furnishing that is a vessel unto honor. You know, First Timothy 3.15 says, The church is a pillar and ground of the truth. Titus 1.3 says that, that God hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. So the truth of God is revealed through his faithful churches. Even to Peter. Even to Peter. Notice the second thing. Boy, I'm running out of time. I told my wife I didn't want to hurry through this. So um, we may not get finished either with what I'm looking at tonight. second thing I want to notice is the promise perpetuity of the Lord's church. So we see that first of all truth comes through the, his faithful church. second, the promised perpetuity of the Lord's church. In verse 18, I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now this is a, this is a controversial passage of Scripture, understand, and, and taken to mean what it doesn't say, as many of the Scriptures are wrested by those who would pervert the truth. But the word church here is not referring to a particular church. Or only to the church that Jesus started. But to the organism or the institution of the church. It's used in the institutional sense. You know, the word church is from the Greek word, and there's a difference of opinion on how to pronounce it. Some say it's ecclesia, others say it's ecclesia. To me, I don't really care how you pronounce it. but But the word church... The word ecclesia or ecclesia is used 118 times in the Bible. 115 times it's translated church. Three times it's translated assembly. Now, you know, in Acts 19, when the when they had the insurrection at Ephesus with with uh, uh, the silversmiths and they, and they had this up, uproar and, and the town clerk finally appeased the crowd and he said you, and he said uh, uh, there's no cause for this assembly and if you want to bring something before the magistrates you can do it in a lawful assembly so they were like a so we, we can understand then from that what a church is it's an assembly that's what a church is an assembly of people uh, but it was not one of the Lord's assemblies, okay? But many times, sometimes in the scriptures, and I didn't look up how many, but sometimes the word is used to refer to a local church or to churches, sometimes it uses the word churches, or sometimes it's used in an institutional sense as it is here in Matthew 16. And the best way I can illustrate this is go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. As we think about the use of the word here in an institutional sense, and this is important, I think we understand this. Ephesians 5 and verse 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. Husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Okay, which church? All churches. He's the head of all churches. It's not referring to a universal church, or an invisible church, as the Protestants like to say, uh, but he's referring to all churches, or the institution of the church, he is the head of the, and he is the Savior of the body, again, referring to the church, therefore as the church, in other words, the, 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 all churches, or the institution of the church, is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands and everything. So, so you know, husbands love your wives, okay, whose wife? Whose husband? Is there a universal wife? Bradley, you married to a universal wife? Yeah, there's no such thing. But if we're going to say the church here is a universal, then then we've got to say there's a universal wife. And you say, well, that's silly. Yeah, it is. It is silly. Or, as some say, an invisible wife or an invisible husband. You know, we know Christ is one, so the husband could be one. But, you know, when referring to the wife, even as Christ is the head of the body, you know, it's like the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives, so just like the church, the wives, that universal wife or that invisible wife, would you like to have an invisible wife? <laughs> you know, maybe sometimes she'd like you to be invisible. But, you know, uh, you know this, this is what we call the universal or invisible church theory. And so the Spirit of God is not teaching us about a particular church, but the institution of the church or all churches. Uh, you know, God uses three metaphors in the scriptures or figures of speeches to help us understand what a church is. One of them is in this passage, in fact, in in, in Ephesians, I think they're, they're all used. And that is a Body, a building, and a bride. A body, a building, and a bride. And you know, for example, in Ephesians two sixteen, Ephesians two sixteen, it says that he might reconcile both, that is, Jew and Gentile, in one body unto God, in one body by the cross, having slain the MNDP, You know, there was this animosity between the Jews and Gentiles and this separation where the Jews thought, we can't even eat with the Gentiles. Remember when Peter went down to Cornelius and preached the gospel to him and Cornelius got saved and, and he spake and they, they spake in other tongues or other languages and, and gave evidence that the Spirit of God truly saved their souls. And, and so, and Peter said, what can, who can hinder Water that he should be baptized. I mean, these have been truly converted. And there's evidence of that. And, and so they baptized him. And, and when Peter came back to Jerusalem, boy, there was people at Jerusalem who really contended with him. But you know what? They didn't contend with him about the fact that Gentiles got saved. You know why they contended with him? You ate with the Gentiles. Peter, how dare you eat with Gentiles? Don't you know you're supposed to be separated from Gentile dogs? But see, Paul's saying here in Ephesians, when a Jew and a Gentile get saved, they are in the same body or the same church. They become one in the church. Same body. Ephesians again. Ephesians four twelve talks about it for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse sixteen. From whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual measure and the working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying itself in love. You know First Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the body of Christ, and and and, and we, of course we see there that he told uh, Paul told those at Corinth that in in First Corinthians 12. In verse 12, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So, just like you have a body, it has many parts, but it's only one body. Every church has parts, but it's only one body. It is a body of Christ. And so, you think about a body, it is visible, it is local in one location it is one unit with many parts. Okay, he refers to the church as a building. Ephesians 2, verse 19, just read it a few minutes ago, refers to it as a building. It's also called the house of God. A building is visible. It's in one location. And it is one building with many parts. You put up a house. You're going to have a lot of different parts. Two by fours, two by sixes. You're going, have, you're going to have drywall. You're going to have insulation. You're going to have concrete. You're going to have you know, you know metal in there. You're going to have wiring, copper, and, and, and you know, all kinds of different parts make a house. But it's one house. And I have yet to see an invisible house. And I have yet to see a universal house. Now, you know... There was a time, and, and some people do, still do. they build these row houses that all look the same, but they're not all exactly the same. Uh, a bride. A bride is always visible. I'm glad mine's visible. It's always local. You know, It's not a universal. There's no such thing as universal why. And again, a bride is one person with many parts. And so, this is the normal use and normal and most usage in the Bible. It refers to a church as a local, visible uh, body of Christ. Uh, you know, but the, the few times it's referred to as the institution, just as you know, when he's talking about the wife here, uh, the home, he's talking about the institution, not somebody's particular wife. And so. And then finally, I'll end with this tonight. When the Lord declares here, the gates of hell should not prevail against it. He means there will always be New Testament churches until he comes. That's what he means. Verse 18. Again, Matthew 16, 18. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's two words here. That are very similar, and in the English language, they are the word or the name Peter, and of course the word rock. The word or the name here Peter means petros. It's the word, Greek word petros, and it means a rock or a piece of rock, or we would often use the phrase or the name or the title stone. In fact, in John one forty two. Jesus said to Peter, Thou art Peter, Cephas, which by interpretation is a stone. That's the word it uses there, a stone. Now, when I think of a stone, I think of something that I can pick up and move. You know, I used to go to the creek. You know, we say in Pennsylvania, the creek. The creek. You know, and skip stones. You can throw them. They're they're not that big. Some you know some stones are bigger than others, but something is movable. Something is movable. That describes us. That describes Peter. You know something is movable. The storms of life can can move us. But this other word, the word rock, means is the word Petra, and it means rock ledge or cliff. And and this is. On this is the Lord's promise to build his church. And he's talking about himself. You know, he's talking about a ledge. When, when my wife and I were on vacation, we stopped out and in, in, um, went to, uh, what was the name of the mountain? Not South Mountain. Anyway, we were hiking up this trail, and we came to this place where there was, there was a landslide some years before. You know, there was a lot of water, a lot of rain, there's, there's the, the, a piece of rock. And dirt slid off the top of this rock and exposed this huge, massive rock. You know, it, the moisture moved what was on top of it and some smaller bits. But that big rock, it did not move. And that's kind of a picture, if you will, of what the word here is. And that's Christ. And, th- and it's on that that he promised to build his church you know, First Corinthians ten four says that rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. See, the rock is Christ. It's Christ. First Corinthians chapter three, and verse eleven. 1 Corinthians three and verse eleven says, "Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ." You know, He is the cornerstone. He is the the, the head of the corner. He is on what we build. It's on Him that we build, that He builds His church. He builds His church. You know, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love and so when the Lord declares here that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church against the church he's saying that because the church is built on himself and there is none greater than the Lord Jesus Christ there's no power that can overthrow him and he said I will build my church I will build it. You know, the wonderful thing is he uses people like you and I. It's amazing. In spite of ourselves. He used Peter in spite of himself. And he chooses to use you and I. Just like he used Peter. And we're going to stop there tonight. We're going to to be looking further at this. But, you know, the Lord promised that his church would be Perpetual. There would always be churches like that first church in sounding doctrine, faithful, until our Lord comes for us. That's a promise that he gave us. We just need to be obedient, trust in him, allow him to work on us so that we might be privileged to be a part of him building his church in our day, in our time, in this place.